good thing for us to see. That's a good thing for us just to remember. And uh, it's a good thing to praise the Lord. He is worthy of our praise. And it's neat to see some of the songs. And you kind of see how the music just changed through the years. But the theme of the music stayed the same. And that's what's so important. Romans chapter number 5 tonight. Romans chapter number 5. And Joe, I was running, that was pretty hard for me. I was running the slides for those songs and singing at the same time and trying to keep count of things, and that's just tough. And so I didn't know I had a three-track mind, and I don't think Caroline knew that either. And so now she does. It's amazing what can happen and what takes place. You can talk to me while I watch football games. You can do all those things, and I'll do my best. I mentioned this morning that you were out of the service when I mentioned it. I thank God for ever came up with that pause button on the TV. It is so wonderful. It, just, it, is safe. it probably has saved so many marriages, a little bit of heartache and strife, just by that pause button. And so that's a wonderful thing, and I'm grateful for that. We're going to take our Bibles tonight to Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5, and we're going to continue talking about all that the Lord has given to us. Romans chapter number 5, and uh, I did not, f- we were supposed to cover the last verse from last week, but most of you didn't even know that, and the slides got erased, so I don't have those available, so we're going to dive right in tonight to Romans 5 and verse number 6. I gave you the gist of it, I'll give you Russ later on, I will give you those blanks so you can have those. I'm glad you remembered to bring it. How many of you actually remembered to bring it with you? Oh, you actually have it? Then you know what? Let me give you those blanks. That way I don't, I don't want Russ in a bad mood the rest of the service. He'll get nothing from the preaching. or anything. He doesn't get much anyways from the preaching, but it would make it even worse. For, no, do you get a lot? Do you get anything? Never mind. We'll leave that. I shouldn't even ask questions like that. That's, when, that's just asking. If you ask, what did you learn last week in church? That's not a question for me to ask. That's really going really to shoot down my self-esteem in the 30-plus hours I put into all my messages during the week. That's really not going to help things out. So last week we were in chapter 5 here. Went from verse number one. So the first couple slides, Joe, don't worry about till we get there in a couple minutes. We looked at verse number one, therefore being justified by faith. If you remember up to this point, Paul talks about in the last chapter how Abraham was justified by faith. Now he says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given us. Now, when we look at this here, and we look at this passage of Scripture, I'm just going to review really quick. We start out by seeing our position as believers. We are justified. The word justified means to count someone as righteous. It means to reckon, to account, to judge, to treat, or to look upon as righteous. It doesn't mean to make righteous. It does mean that we're treated as if we're righteous. Because in all honesty, we're not righteous, right? We still sin. We still do things that we shouldn't. So justification and being justified is not as I just mentioned a minute ago, it's not to make me righteous. It means I'm looked at as righteous. It's like going to court. 
and the judge knows you're guilty. The jury is deliberating. The judge knows you're guilty. The prosecution, the defense, you know you're guilty. Everyone knows you're guilty. And then the jury comes in and says, we find the defendant not guilty. Wait, we know he's guilty. No, he's not guilty. He's rendered innocent, even though he's guilty. That's what justification is. We get Christ's righteousness, but we're still sinners. But God looks and sees us, he sees Christ's righteousness. Justification is a blessing, and so much to it, and we can go deeper another time. And then we see that we are justified, how? By faith, just as Abraham was. There's no difference there. And then we saw uh, not only our position as believers, but we saw our possessions at the end of verse number 1. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We also have access by faith into this grace wherewith we stand. And we think about we possess acceptance. God's wrath has been turned away from us. Heaven is for us, and old enemies have been reconciled to God. And if you weren't here last week, go listen to the sermon last week, and you'll get all this a lot deeper than what I'm giving it to you right now. And then not only do we possess acceptance, but we get access to God. You think about that. Think about in the Old Testament. The high priest got to go into the Holy of Holies one day out of the year. And if he wasn't cleansed and he wasn't right, he would die on the spot. And yet Christ brings us into the very presence of the King of Kings. We have access to the Holy of Holies. Think about that one. That's what Jesus did for us. And so we possess access. We possess assurance. We see wherein we stand. We see that phrase, wherein we stand. The word stand carries the idea of permanence, of being firmly fixed and immovable. And it's talking about the security that we have in the Lord. We have assurance here, and we have assurance of what is coming. Which led to point number three, which I'm going to give you real quick as we dive into the new stuff tonight. Point number three, our privileges as believers. Our privileges as believers. Verse three through five, you've got to understand something. We're saved and we're secure. But guess what? We still live in this world today. Look at verse three. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We live in a world of trials, a world of tribulations. But as believers, some of the greatest privileges in all the world are given to us as we go through those times in our lives. We talk about our privileges as believers. Three quick things we'll move on to tonight. First one, letter A, is the ability to rejoice in trouble. Do you know unbelievers cannot rejoice when they're going through a trial? What's there to rejoice in? They don't. As an unbeliever, and they're going through a trial in their life and going through something, what can you rejoice in? Paul is saying in this passage that we as believers have a privilege. We have some things that have been given to us, and the privileges as believers is that we can rejoice in the hard times. That when things don't go the way that we think they should or we're in bad times, we can, look at what it says in that verse, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, knowing that the trials of our life are meant for our good. 
We can rejoice in that. The world doesn't do that. But as a Christian, we can. That's a privilege we have. You say, that's quite a privilege. You know what I mean by that. Life's going to be tough no matter if you're a Christian or non-Christian. But imagine being a non-Christian and going through the trials of life and have not knowing that the trials work patience in your life. Not knowing what's going to happen to your loved ones. It's a privilege that we have to know these things. We know these things. That's what the Bible says before our very eyes. The ability to rejoice in trouble. The word tribulations here literally means pressure. There are pressures that come into the life of the child of God. And the mature Christian understands that those pressures that come into life are going to help make us more like him. We're going to learn patience. We're going to learn the things that we need. And we can rejoice in trouble because we know Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's a promise from the scripture. So we have the ability to rejoice in trouble. Get this letter B. We have the ability to recognize our troubles. Paul tells us in this section, in verse, the end of verse number 3 through the beginning of verse number 5, all about the benefits of the pressures of life. Do you ever just say to yourself, I just wish all this would stop. I'm tired of pressure. I'm tired of going through it. I just want everything to be easy. Just give me a break. Anybody ever say that before? But look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, knowing that tribulation, the trials, the pressures we go through in life, they work patience. And what patience does, it works experience in our life. And experience gives us hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. It's powerful when you look at that. Tribulation produces the pressure. Patience gives us endurance. Experience gives us maturity. And hope gives us a confident expectation of what will take place. Basically what Paul's saying in these couple verses here is that when troubles come into our lives as a result of our walk with God, sometimes troubles come in our lives because of the dumb things that we do. And don't blame the dumb things that you do on God. And try. The Lord's just trying me. No, you conceived that sin in your own lust. And you are suffering those consequences. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is I'm talking about the troubles that come into our lives as a result of our walk with God. We learn to endure, and through endurance, we're mature or our character's proven, and then we see God sustain us in difficult times, and that's how it all works. That's what this passage is talking about. Simply stated, the more we endure for Christ, the more we become like him, and that's a good thing that we want to happen. You can mark this down. You can write this. I don't know if it's in your notes or not. The road to maturity is paved with struggle. You want to become a mature Christian, you're going to struggle on your way to get there. Um, ask Abraham, and he'll point you to Mount Moriah where he had to take his son. Ask Jacob, and he'll take you to that pillow of stone. Ask Joseph, he'll take you to an Egyptian prison. Ask Moses, and he'll point you to the backside of the desert. 
Ask the three Hebrew children, and they'll point you to a fiery furnace. Ask Daniel, he'll point you to a lion's den. Ask Peter, he'll point you to a Roman fire and his three denials. Ask John, and he'll point to the island of Patmos. Ask any believer who has traveled far with Jesus, and he'll tell you that God's blessings are poured from a bitter cup. The road to maturity is paved with struggle. I think people think the Christian life's always, and we are very blessed, and we've had it very easy compared to a lot of Christians through the years. And with the way our world's going, don't be shocked if before long we start suffering for it too. And why should we not when others have suffered? Will you stay faithful? I sure hope we will. I hear people often, if I'll stay faithful, we'll see it when it happens. That's the only way you'll know if you'll stay faithful. You go through what they've gone through, and it's amazing the Christians that have stood for the faith. We haven't had to do those things yet. My prayer is that I would stand, but in all honesty, only the Lord knows what I would do at that point. We see the ability to rejoice in trouble, the ability to recognize our troubles, and lastly, the ability to rest in our troubles. If life is to be difficult, and there's trouble in my life, then how in the world can I rejoice when there's trouble? Look at the rest of verse number five. And hope maketh not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. The answer lies right there in what I just read. What did Paul say? That the love of God, like a vast river, is constantly being poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. When we're saved, God places His Holy Spirit inside of us. The Holy Spirit's like a conduit through which a stream of vast quantities of God's love flows through. As you go through life, there's going to be difficult days and trials that come. But the privilege we have as believers tonight is the fact that we can rejoice in our trials. We can recognize our troubles, and we can rest in them. This is what happens. He makes the trip bearable. He makes it so we can endure. He makes the destination believable. Isaiah 26.3 tells us that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me because he trusteth in me. We look tonight at the next verses in verse number 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man, someone even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
by whom we have now received the atonement. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have tonight. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. I pray that you'd help me as I break it down a little bit tonight. What a privilege it is to be able to open up your word and to be able to study it and to be able to share it with people. What a privilege and honor it is, something I don't take lightly, and I pray that you just guide our thoughts and our direction tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. These verses that we just read, and even last week's verses we read a few minutes ago, are passages of Scripture that should always be mindful to us. They're similar to like Isaiah 53, where we talk about how Christ, all he went through on the cross. Psalm 23, the Lord being our shepherd. Hebrews chapter 11, Philippians chapter number 4, John chapter number 3. All of these passages that I've mentioned, as long, and many others, have long brought comfort to the hearts of men. In this passage tonight that we just read, we find the Apostle Paul still going on over the benefits that are ours by being children of God. These verses make it pure, plain, and simple, all that he did. These verses tell us of all the wonderful things we have in Christ. And so I want for just a little bit of time, if you look at the last two words of verse number 8. It says, in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. The title of these few verses we're going to get through tonight is this, all of this just for us. That's why he did it. Number one, as we dive in, we see man's hopeless condition. Man's hopeless condition. Man had no hope. In, verse, in these five verses tonight, Paul tells us that man's condition is summed up by four descriptive terms. Look there in verse number six. It says that we are without strength. Verse number six calls us ungodly. Verse number eight calls us sinners. And verse number ten calls us enemies. Literally, these four terms talk about our condition before salvation. And so as we dive in, we see, number one, man's hopeless condition. Where does it begin? It begins, letter A, that man is weak. Verse number six, for when we were yet without strength. You see that phrase, without, without strength? This carries the idea of being powerless. It speaks of people who are utterly helpless with no means to escape. Some of you are going to try to escape an escape room next week. I don't know why we pay so much money to not even get out of the room and get frustrated at the end with everyone we're doing the room with. I still don't understand that completely. And I know there are some, we figured it out. Yeah, you cheated, I'm sure. But anyway, no, I'm just kidding. But um, the ones who did the rabbit hole last time. But anyways, man is weak without strength. We cannot escape it. There's nothing that we can do. The idea is that the lost sinner stands before God is helpless on their own to do anything without the Lord. That's what we see here. Powerless to escape sin. Powerless to escape death. To resist the devil. To please God. We're powerless. We're without strength to be able to do it. Let her be. Man is wicked. For when... We were yet without strength in due time. Christ died for the ungodly. The word ungodly refers to those who without reverence for or fear of God. It literally means to live your life as if God did not exist. Before salvation, 
We had no strength and we could not get anywhere on our own. Before salvation, we're wicked, we're ungodly, we live our lives as if there is no God. That's what the Bible, that's what Paul's talking about right here. Because we're helpless to change our sinful nature, we live our lives to please ourselves, not for God. We see that, letter C, that man's wayward, a sinner. Verse number 8, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. The word sinner means simply to miss the mark. Imagine going to a shooting range. And uh, a while back, I got, a, I got a new handgun a while back, and I've been working with it. And when I lived in Montana, I learned how to shoot a rifle. I had a scope on there where the T's cross. With a rifle 300 yards away, I could hit the target almost every single time. A handgun, I never had any training with a handgun, being honest about that. So one of the things with a handgun is it would kind of jerk and different things. The first seven shots I did with the handgun, I didn't even hit the anything. What are you laughing about, Martha? You wouldn't have hit anything either. <laughs> you, you wouldn't even have known there was a target. No, I'm just kidding, Martha. I'm just, I'm just teasing you. I love you, Martha, but laughing at me like that. And... Uh, but I didn't hit nothing, and I'm looking, and I'm looking for where the bullet went right to the bullseye, and nope. Went out a second time, and wh- after th- I learned a few things, a few tricks from somebody, some tricks of the trade, and then they got onto the sheet. I went back a couple days ago. Didn't miss the sheet. A sinner is someone who misses the, and you say, well, how, and uh, my groupings are getting better, and the little red area in the center I had at the end, I was almost hitting it every single time. So it's getting better. You say, a lot better? Yeah, I got got a good hold now. I got things figured out a little bit better. But a sinner is someone who misses the mark. What's the mark? God's law. What God's standard is. As, As before salvation, man's wayward. We miss the target. It pictures man as he tries and fails his way through life, and no matter how good man tries to be, he can never be good enough. That's why we cannot work our way to heaven, because we're sinners. And then we see letter D, that man is warlike. We're enemies. Now look at verse number 10. For if when we were enemies, people don't like hearing things like this, but before salvation, you are an adversary to God. That's what the word enemy means. You're an adversary. Basically, what the Bible's saying is that when we're lost, we are in the devil's camp. We're on the wrong team. We're not on the winning side. We're on the losing side. We are opposed to God. We're against Him, not for Him. And no matter how how much people say they love God or talk to God, if they're unsaved, they're liars, and they're his enemy. What we see through all of this is the fact that man is helpless to do anything to get to God. Man is helpless to get justified. Nothing in us that we could ever do. We're weak. We read that here. We're ungodly. We're sinners. And we're his enemies. Apart from Christ. There's nothing we can do, literally. He's the only one. He's the only hope we as believers have. 
a sinner is helpless and hopeless without Christ. Number one, we see man's hopeless condition. Number two, we see Christ's boundless compassion. Verse 6 and 7. For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. We think about Christ's boundless compassion. His compassion exceeded the love of man. Paul says there are few people in life that men might die for. Tonight, is there someone who you say you'd be willing to die for? I think if you, I would hope, guys, you'd be willing to die for your wife. I would hope. I hope you would say you'd die for your kids. So, let's say a, cu- a couple weeks ago, one of those shooters that went in, the one that went in, let's say, into Colorado into the store and shot and killed people. Would you die for them? Would you die for Hitler? No, he's not worthy of it. Oh, I sh- Would you... Some might die for a very good man, a very good cause. But scarcely is someone going to die for some wicked person. And yet that's exactly what he did. You say, I wouldn't die for that wicked person. He did. He died for Hitler. He died for those that crucified him on the cross. He died for Pilate. He died for Caesar. He died for all of them. Think about that. How powerful that is. His compassion exceeded the love of men, letter B. His compassion exhibited the love of God. You notice how the love of God transcended anything humanity is able to produce. He put his great love on display when Jesus Christ died for those who were his enemy. Those who were missing the mark. Those who were weak. Those who were ungodly. He died for us in the midst of that. Think about that tonight. We're weak, wicked, wayward, warlike, and Jesus died for us in that space. But God commanded, or God loved us so much that while we were missing the mark, while we were ungodly, while we did all these things, while we were in an enemy, he died for us. Take that person in, maybe in this room or in your life that you can't stand. Would you die for them? And Jesus did. That's the compassion. That's the love that Jesus Christ has for us. He did all of it for us. That's why he did it. What did he get out of it? He got us. He got the bad end of that deal. We look a lot of times, and man, look at what the Lord got when he got me. He got a mess when he got you. 
And he got a mess when he got me. And while I'm his enemy, he loved me enough to die for me. Think about that tonight. Don't let that, it should never get to the point in a Christian's life where you can't just stop and think of how worthless you and I really are and how much worth you have to him. And the fact that he would die while we're yet sinners. And that verse I've used thousands of times witnessing to people. Don't ever let it grow cold in your heart or in your life. God loves. What love? Wow. You know, I hear people often, if God's a God of love, then why do bad things happen? Hey, instead of focusing on that and the free will of man, why don't you just take him to Calvary and say, hey, there's his love on display right there. Because greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends, for his enemies. That's what he did for us. How amazing that is. He did so much for us. We see man's hopeless condition. We see Christ's boundless compassion. And because of it, we see we had no hope. And Christ said, I'll be the one, I'll do it. God said, God the Father said, I need someone to die for, my, for those people. And Jesus was willing to. And God the Father showed us his love by letting his son die for us. But it doesn't end there. Look at verse number 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. We see number three, our matchless completion. In these verses, Paul tells us what we have become through the selfless sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because he loved those who were unlovable, we have received some blessings that I want to finish out the service with tonight. You notice the expression right there, much more than. We have been completed in him. And notice what we have because of Jesus. Letter A, we see our position. We are justified. Verse number nine. Much more than being now justified by his blood. We've covered this word last week. Basically, this declares a person not guilty. Even though we're sinners, even though we deserve to die and go to hell, God is able through the blood of Jesus Christ to look at us and say, Brian is righteous. Think about that. Maria is righteous. Stephanie, I don't know, I'm just kidding. Stephanie's righteous. That's literally 
because of his sacrifice, God is able to do that. He's saying here that we are pleasing in the sight of God. Not based on anything that we did, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ on us. God sees us as if we've never been stained by sin. You know, we sing that song, I Stand Redeemed. I love the song. But that second verse, I, I would probably, if I, and I will never write a song. But the, the song says that bitter mark of sin will never fade away. In our eyes and things, I get where that's coming from in the song. But in his eyes, he doesn't see the sin. That's powerful when you stop to think about that. Because of what he did on the cross for us, we're justified. He see, Think about this. God sees us tonight just like he sees his son. Are we worthy of it? Nope. He justified us. When you think about when he sees us as his son, think about this. He sees us as perfect and fully right with him. I hear people, are you right with God? It's a loaded question right there. Because of what Christ has done, you are right with God. Is it based on how you do and what you do, or is it based on what Christ has done? Based on what he's done. So you are right with God. Not because you deserve it, or because of the good deeds that you've done. It's because of his blood sacrifice for us. We see our position letter B. We got to stay all night on all these things. I could go on. We see our protection. Not only do we see the fact, our position, that we're justified, but we see the protection that he's given to us. We're saved from wrath. Because we're in Jesus Christ, we're saved from the wrath of God. Simply stated, no child of God need ever fear dying and going to hell. Hell is a place of God's wrath. And the Bible talks about those that hath not the Son of God, those that are not saved, those that are without Him, the wrath of God abideth on you still. But when you're saved, you have protection. You're saved from the wrath to come. Jesus paid the price. He quenched the wrath of God. As the song we sang a little bit ago, the wrath of God was satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. No longer does the wrath of God abide on God's children. No longer are we children of wrath, even as others, as it says in the book of Ephesians. We're now free from the penalty of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. We see our position. We see our protection. We see next, we see our peace in verse number 10. Whew, I stop and calm down for a second. It's like, I'm tired. I feel like I preached all day and sang in three different services today and did a kid's choir. And went on a hike this afternoon with a friend that passed through town. I did. But when you get with it, you just forget about all those things. And you stop for a second and it all catches up with you. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get to be some of your ages in the room. We see our peace. Verse number 10. For if we, when we were enemies, and we're out of time, but we've got to finish up here quickly. Uh, 
you know what? Because I reviewed those things, I cannot justify in my mind going slow, going fast through these last couple points. So save your notes for next week, and then we'll just carry on. This is one of the problems I have when I just go verse by verse through something, because I want to finish a complete thought. But I would be doing a disservice this evening if I just gave you those things fast. We're going to take our time and just enjoy it. And maybe next week, we'll just finish this up and not even get any new stuff. I think I can fill up the whole hour on this stuff. So let's have a word of prayer tonight, and we'll be dismissed. Father.